0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Undying Light. If you are a patron, you have gotten this episode a number of weeks early. Uh, if you're a regular listener, I am recording this in the beginning of March, and uh, we'll probably release it uh, at some point when we're kind of wrapping up the Uggsburg Confession and Book of Concord. So we've got some work left to do in that series. Uh, and Matter of fact, after i get, finish this episode depending on how many times uh, or how many parts i make it into if i'm going to do a two or three or four parter, i don't know yet uh, i want to keep it to about 30 minutes um but we've got a lot of information to cover and we have a lot of ground to cover with this episode so it could be in two or three parts i'm just throwing that out there uh, and, and as i do so um they'll be released to the patrons first and then uh you know like i said once we wrap up the articles and the confession and commentaries and all that then i will release these to the general public so if you're listening to it then it's already been released to the general public uh if you're not a patron but this gives you hopefully i pray some incentive to come and join us for dollar a month you can join uh the patrons and you get full access to everything i have all early podcast release, my sermon notes, my schoolwork, my thoughts, and all the stuff that I do behind the scenes, uh, it is all given to you ahead of time. So, uh, I've been promising this, uh, this episode for uh, a considerable amount of time. Uh, I've talked about it, you know, I, I think even into last year, um, trying to kind of deviate a uh, A period of time and set up a show uh, that's focused around teaching the Lutheran faith but most importantly uh, walking alongside uh, those who do not understand the Lutheran faith and helping them to understand it via making this doctrine a little bit easier Uh, but also most importantly I think people are really wanting to hear about the sacraments and so I, um, wanted to take the time and make, you know, special episodes that are focused solely around the, uh, the, the, the sacraments. I did not want to keep them included in the, uh, Uggsberg articles episode, just because I don't feel like it gives us enough. Uh, it's not enough time to cover the extensiveness of these things. So, we dig into, uh, this plethora, this swimming pool, um, ocean deep, uh, of material, and we can, we're going to probably go uh, down some different side roads and some tangents and some, uh, you know, various thoughts and things like that. But uh, I want to try to keep us very clear and concise. Um, today's episode is going to be focused mostly around, um, some scripture and the difference between a sacrament and an ordinance, because that is also um, a view of the sacraments that we need to understand: is uh, is baptism and the Lord's Supper an ordinance, or does the sacrament? And we'll dig into that. That's going to kind of head up the episode because I feel like that gives us the foundation to which we can build upon. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll continue on. And like I said, more than likely, if this is a 30 minute episode and that's how I keep them, you know, for listening uh, purposes, uh, I'll probably do this in multiple parts. Um, and, and I think that's just appropriate. So that way I'm not dumping an hour and a half episode on your, on you. And then you, you don't have the ability to listen to it all in one shot and if so to come back over and over and over to it. So I think 30 minutes is a great little, uh, moment of time that one can set aside and listen to these episodes and hopefully um they can come back to them over and over again. So um with that uh let's dig into the material because we have a lot to go and I can just keep rambling and I am a rambler. So uh we are going to look at just the very basic definition of a sacrament and one uh and the ordinance. So um let's first summarize uh the sacrament uh it's a view uh that is essentially a rite you know a a ritual uh through which god's grace is conveyed to an individual uh so this particular view is a means by which god comes to us through an element so with baptism it's through the water through uh, the lord's supper it's through the bread and the wine in this you have have to pair god's word with the element when we look through the uh scripture the old testament and the new testament and we see god using elements to convey a covenant uh and that plays into the sacrament as well uh, because when he gives a covenantal promise that's uh, the sacrament is a refreshing of that promise to us and so when we see the covenantal promise, uh, especially with Abraham, God commands him to take these animals, cut them in half and place them in uh, a row uh, across from each other. And then he puts Abraham to a deep sleep and then walks down this uh, path, symbolizing that if he, God, the one is the one that breaks this covenant, then he too shall uh, experience the fate of which these animals did, which we know God can't break a covenant. It is man that breaks the covenants over and over again. So Uh, But this is to show the the weight of God's promise here. Uh, When we move into the New Testament and we see Jesus teaching and healing, he's actively using elements. Uh, I think the most famous one is when he spits into the mud and then makes the blind man see. So obviously, as a Lutheran, we're not going to sit here and say, well, if I spit into this mud and and give you God's word, then that's going to heal you automatically. I, we're not jesus and neither are you and therefore this isn't going to work because we're not the son of god we have no command over the ability to heal somebody like that so uh, but what jesus is really demonstrating is that when he places his word he christ places his word into anything it will do what it's supposed to do it will complete its task it will heal the person it will bring salvation So that is uh, kind of the easiest way to summarize uh, the view of a sacrament. It's like, you know, we call it a ritual. I don't really care for that word too much um, because I feel like it's now a means of which you have to like you have to perform a certain thing every time and you have to do it a certain way in, you know, for rituals to really work. But uh, really what it is like when I do a baptism, I have a liturgy in front of me. And I read through the liturgy, and then I turn to the person I'm baptizing, and I, you know, will either dunk them or pour water on their head, whatever they they are, infant or adult, and you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That ritual or that liturgy, and I think liturgy is a better word to use for this, uh, is the one that con- confines the sacrament; it contains it, and. And so we perform this liturgical process and walk through these elements every time we do a baptism and every time we do the Lord's Supper. So, for instance, tomorrow's Ash Wednesday for uh, some denominations, not all celebrate it, but some denominations celebrate it as Lent uh, is kicking off. And in Ash Wednesday service, we are going to have communion. And so I will walk through the words of institution and then I will invite my congregation to the table then I will administer uh, the bread and I will have uh, an assistant who gives the wine. And so I, you know, hand them the bread, Christ's body given to you. And I say that to each individual person because in the view of the Lutherans, this is Christ coming to you individually. And so that means when I hand you the bread or you pick the bread off the tray, I am telling you this is Christ's body given for you. And we'll get into all that uh, in probably a later episode just because the Lord's Supper is a bit deep and we're going to look at uh, Luther's view on it. And and both really baptism and the Lord's Supper are quite extensively deep because there's a lot of um, miscommunication around these things. There's a lot of you know feelings and emotions, I think, that are applied to this. And so we need to be very diligent in understanding the text and hopefully offering some clarity to people. So uh, with the view of sacrament, uh, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, and a few Protestant denominations will utilize this term Uh, just because the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox use it uh, doesn't mean it's a bad word. And I think sometimes in the Protestant circles um, and the reformed communities, anything Roman Catholic should be discarded. And uh, they they are quick to uh, to throw something out without actually looking at it and understanding its purpose, uh, and this can be kind of traced back to uh, Calvin and Zwingli and uh, and those in that time period that really sought to re redo everything. Their view uh, of the Reformation was to reestablish the church and so by doing that they would reject everything roman catholicism did and in some elements rejected what the lutherans did because luther saw that there were elements in in roman catholicism that were still true and biblical Uh, they weren't completely off the deep end uh but luther did not you know hold to the mass as being a means of uh, anything and so you had to uh you have to dig into that. And again, that's another episode that we'll probably do at, at some point is the differences uh, between the Lutheran and uh, Reformed faith in terms of worship and things like that. It's a pretty good episode I, th- I hope to build up uh, because it helps us to convey why Lutherans have a liturgy, why we do the things we do, and then why do the Reformed do the things they do. I wouldn't say the Reformed are wrong in the wanting to cast away from the Roman Catholic Church. And I wouldn't say the Lutherans are right with wanting to hold on to some elements that um, they find to be helpful. Uh, I think both views are fine. And, you know, wherever you whatever camp you fall into, just make sure that you understand why it is your your views are that way. So for the word sacrament, this is the Roman Catholicism, the Eastern Orthodox, and some mainstream Protestant denominations. Um, I know most in the Reformed circles will recognize the word sacrament, but they don't actively apply it in the means. So uh, they will move towards more of an evangelical standing point here, and they'll use the word ordinance. Um, this may be found more in you know, the big non-denominational churches, things like that. Uh, these are uh, can be defined as a God-ordained ceremony, and it's a, a difference between the ordinance and the sacrament. And this is one of the biggest things that I think I can help t- hopefully to clarify is the sacrament is a means by which we recognize God coming to us. The ordinance is a means by which we go to God or we um, offer up a worship to God. Very much similar to the Old Testament uh, offering up of incense or a burnt offering or anything like that. This is God, or this is us, man, going to God to offer up uh, our, you know, worship to Him. Uh, so let's get back to the sacrament. Uh, it's often thought of as being a means of God's grace. As a worshipper performs this certain religious rite, he or she receives divine blessing, either for salvation or sanctification. Uh, I want to pause on this because it is not that we are receiving it, but it is a reminder of what we've already been given. And so uh, it, and here's the kind of twisting to it. Um, if you are a if you're an adult and you come and get baptized, you are receiving to you in that moment the clarity of your salvation and sanctification it's in that moment that you, you as a man or a woman will understand that when you are an infant, the same thing, you know, the infant can't understand grace. It can't understand God's faith. It doesn't have babies don't have faith in God. And that's an argument used by the credo Baptist position. But we understand that baptism isn't a work by which man does. It is God coming to us. And so it doesn't matter the age, it doesn't even matter the confession, it doesn't matter anything. it what matters is is God coming to that person and delivering to them faith in salvation. And so we would say that anywhere the God's Word is present in the divine services that we conduct or uh, reading His word anytime his word is spoken, read, taught, salvation is present for those who are listening. And so that also goes towards the sacraments. uh, And that's the word I'm going to use for this episode. We will make some clarifications as we go. But the, you know, Lutheran position is sacrament. It's sacramental, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, In some cases, and as I mentioned in previous episodes, we've uh, we would also look at um, the brief order of confession as being a uh, kind of a light (laughs) sacrament, if you would. But it's not one that is, you know, required. I don't want to say required, but it is not one that is stressed as often as baptism. So, um, again, tangents and rabbit holes that I can go on and on and on for. So let's backtrack here. The ordinance is usually not considered a conduit of grace, but simply a practice commanded to be performed by the Lord. In other words, the sacrament at some level involves a supernatural work of God. The ordinance is simply an act of man in obedience to God. So that is the biggest difference. And whatever your hermeneutic takes you to, whatever your understanding of scriptures, if you look at the Scripture and you see that Jesus Christ says, go into the world, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them all that I have taught you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you see that as simply, okay, we must obey this command and now I have to go do this. Uh, then you would fall into the means of, uh, you know, recognizing these as being ordinances, commands by God. if. Uh, if you view it in a sacramental stance, we read the text in the same manner, and but yet we see that the command is to baptize, then teach. And so when we baptize, it is not by our doing, it is by God doing the work through us. And we see that kind of cascade throughout uh, the New Testament with the uh, uh, families and such that come and are baptized they didn't make a proclamation of faith they didn't stand in front of their church and say i you know i now believe in jesus christ and it's been you know two good years and and i'm gonna um get baptized now because i want to seal the deal if you would and and i know that's very generic and probably a poor misrepresentation but you know um to be honest with you i was one at one point years back uh that i held to a credo baptist view and in that, um, you know, it was a,I must make a proclamation for my faith in order to be baptized." But I also wasn't so um, strict on my views against the infant baptism as most credo Baptists are. Uh, I was kind of open and flexible to it. Um, and it, it really, for me personally, you know I reflect back on some of the things that I've said and done, and I just realize that how Ignorant and arrogant I sounded because I'm essentially standing before God making this proclamation that it's my decision to baptize when we don't see that in Scripture Um, the command is to to be baptized and then the act is done and I would also before we dig into some deeper pieces to this puzzle um, I think it pays us well to understand the first century church. Uh, and I had this conversation with my father- in- law the other night, actually, after our Bible study, we were talking about baptism and the early church. And I, you know I kind of explained it this way to him that with the uh, with baptism and the first century church, we have no previous generations of believers. And so these are the first people being proclaimed to. And so when Paul goes into a town or Peter's preaching the gospel or whoever it is, and they're sharing Christ, and then the then the people in the crowd ask, what do we do next? Peter will tell them in Acts chapter 2, uh, 38, to be baptized, uh, and this is where we start to see that element coming. There's no previous generation, so that's why we don't get really any accounts of, uh, you know, direct infants being baptized. We do see in Acts chapter 10 um, the, uh, the work, if you would, of um, Cornelius and his whole household, and in this context, the whole household would be um, women, children, infants, servants, slaves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I want to rewind from Acts 10 to go to Acts 2 again, and I want to I want to really highlight this piece. See, uh, I often hear people hammer verse 38 like there's no tomorrow. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they will hammer, hammer, hammer that first half of that verse, and they will say, you can't be baptized unless you repent. And I find that to be a poor misrepresentation of the text, because what we understand it to say is that I have preached to you Christ and his salvation. And if you have faith, then Christ is actively repenting you, turning you away from your sin and turning you to him. Therefore, you must now be baptized. And that is how we view this text. It is not a, man, a manner of man has to come and profess his repentance and then be baptized. But repent is often used, in, at least in the Lutheran faith, as a means by which Christ, the Holy Spirit, is working inside of us to turn us from our sin. And turn us to Him, but here's one thing I find in this verse, uh, verse 39, that most people kind of uh, overshadow. This is what Peter goes on to say. He says, "For the promises for you, talking to the crowd at Pentecost, he says, for and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone who calls upon, uh, everyone who the Lord our God calls to Himself." And so, this promise isn't just aimed at the men in the crowd it is a promise given to the children and to the children's children to the land of people's far off it is for all people this is the promise of christ's salvation for the world so i i often find you know verse 39 to kind of be overlooked and often kind of neglected if you would because people don't want to associate the fact that children can be baptized Again, this comes back to your view. Is, sa- this, is it a sacrament or is it an ordinance? And if it's an ordinance to you, then you are going to reject any of the text that t- draw us to children being baptized. And, and that's just the hermeneutic that you've been raised with. And I would encourage you uh, to spend some time in prayer, spend some time in the scripture. And we're going to look at some more uh, passages here before the end of the show. But spend some time in scripture and, and really look at the early church um because the early church was built from here in Acts chapter two and on through the first century and second century and so forth until today uh, and really for the first 1500 years infant baptism was never questioned it was accepted even you know before the Roman Catholicism happened, uh, before Eastern Orthodox happened, uh, before the Reformation happened uh, the church the true Believers baptized their their children uh, and it wasn't, and some people will argue, well, because, you know, infant mortality was so high, uh, they didn't know if the child would make it. Well, that is a small fragment of it. But it is not that when we baptize an infant in the Lutheran faith, it is a means by which we are conveying God's grace to the next generation. And so when I baptize my son in October, I am giving my son the promise of Christ that his sins have been forgiven, and then I will raise him to know that. And so he will then be given faith every time I speak to him about the forgiveness of his sins. And so every time they come for bread and wine at Lord's Supper, I give him a blessing to uh, be for him to be reminded, even though he can't comprehend it, but it is in his ear and I continue to give it to him from the time he was born uh, until the time I die. I will continue to give him that promise. And I pray one day he will be able to turn and give me that same promise as well, because he can articulate. Uh, that he knows that Christ has forgiven his sins, and then he can turn to me and tell me that Christ forgives my sins. You know, because as a pastor, we don't often hear that too often from the people around us um, that our sins, the pastor's sins, are forgiven too. And so we're, we're the ones constantly reminding people, but nobody reminds us. And so, um, you know, I pray that he grows up in the faith much different than I did. Uh, I wasn't much of a faith uh, adherer until my later adult or to my early adult life later, um, in time here, I never went to church, never, you know, truly dug into anything theology. I didn't care for it. Uh, but around my mid twenties, I started to, uh, have that promise whispered back into my ear. Now I was baptized as an infant, but my parents never took me to church and that's a great disconnect too. If you're baptizing your child, and you're welcoming them into the covenant of grace. The premise is to encourage you to take them to church so they can hear the word preached. And then when they're old enough, they go to Sunday school and they hear, you know, the the stories of the Bible taught to them. And then when they're in confirmation, they go through and get catechized. And then when they're in youth, they go and do youth works and mission trips and they help the the needy around the area or around the world. If in some churches. And then when they're adult, we continue to pray that they will uh, remember this promise given to them and come to church continuously to be reminded of that promise so <clears throat> as we continue on uh, i want to get back to the understanding of the sacraments and the ordinances um one thing that i mentioned lutherans have two main uh sacraments uh, that's baptism and the lord's supper um, the Roman Catholics held two seven, they said, baptism, conf- uh, confirmation, holy communion, confession, marriage, holy orders, and the anointing of the sick. This was their, uh, m- means by which grace was given to people. And so you, if you would attain all of these things, then you could be eligible for sainthood. Um, uh, but not everybody, uh, was married. Not everybody you know, anointed the sick, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is kind of a long, this isn't an episode on the Roman Catholics, and that's kind of a deep dive into it. But um it's what we what we get to this understanding is with Roman Catholicism at its core, before the corruption came into the church and, and corrupted the the bishops, the priests, and the pope, and 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 I would argue too, even the first few popes didn't have good sound doctrine but i would also argue too that the the level of understanding scripture and what it means then has changed from then to today but only because we have greater minds that have come and and, and i and i use that word lightly greater minds because they these individuals in the first century second third and on are incredibly intelligent people. But I think what it takes is is to, uh, it takes more eyes, it takes more time to view passages and to start to articulate the difference. And so I, I wouldn't always say that, you know, if they had kind of a wonky view in the early church, uh, it would more or less just be poor understanding of a particular doctrine that was later, you know, uh, developed or expanded upon. But that's another Side tangent, we're not gonna get into, but it was before the Roman Catholic Church was corrupted, before they uh fell uh, away from their doctrinal teachings, they believed that the sacraments were a means of grace, that God came to them and actively gave them salvation through these elements. And when we give the Lord's Supper, for instance, uh the the phrase is to be reminded of the forgiveness of sins. You are not we and, and again, we get into some some deep theology. If we start to articulate the Roman Catholicistic view of the Lord's Supper, where they try to re-sacrifice Christ every Sunday, that is not the Lutheran position, nor is that any biblical doctrine, nor is that any Protestant view. And, and again, this is where we start to see the corruption, um, kind of falling in to this understanding. And, but at its core, the Lord's Supper was a means to be reminding the people that they have forgiveness of their sins. And baptism was a means by which their sins were forgiven. And, and in, as Peter will note, it's the washing away and the regeneration of one. And so I want to make that distinction because many in the Protestant and evangelical circles re- de- reject the notion that sacraments can really offer any form of salvation. Rather, they see them as signs and signifiers Uh, of grace that had already been received so we get into this concept and this debate that it it really is unfruitful to be honest with you because what we're trying to articulate is, is is you're splitting hairs because are we going to look in Ephesians 2 and see that or for that matter Ephesians 1 and 2 And see how God had set us aside before the foundations of the world. And then we are saved by grace through faith without our works. So again, it comes back to the understanding of sacraments and ordinance. Is it a sacrament? Is it an ordinance? If it's a sacrament, then it's not our work. It's God's. But the conveying of salvation to one, this is the tricky thing. And this is how uh, I've been able to articulate it in hopes that you can understand we have been set aside and our names have been put into the book of life from before the foundations of the world. When we are infants and we are baptized, we are welcomed into the covenant of grace and into the covenant of, you know, God's people. And as we are raised in the church, we are reminded of our salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's not a manner of us you know, receiving salvation at a certain point in our lives because that's not what we're conveying. What we're conveying is the reminding of one. See, our salvation was purchased 2,000 years ago on the cross. We weren't alive 2,000 years ago. And so it's the reminding of that. Um, so I, I also, you know, I want to really make sure we understand that uh, this Protestant or evangelical or Reformed view where they flat out reject that salvation can come. But when we, as, as, again, when we preach God's word, salvation is present. The spirit is actively bringing faith to people. And and I've also even used this too in a, in a phrase that, if I have a thousand people in my church and I'm baptizing one infant, and, and I preach God's word to those thousand people, and and then I baptize that infant. I'm welcoming that infant. But there could be somebody in the crowd that has never heard the gospel before, and then they finally, uh, or they 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 can realize that Christ is calling them, and so faith can be given in that framework. And it doesn't have to be directly to the person being baptized. It could be to anybody in the congregation or in the audience that's there present. So I've used that argument too. But what I try to really articulate is more so when I preach the word of, of God to a person, it doesn't matter whether there's a hundred people or two people or one person. When I share it with God's word, there is faith, there's salvation, because that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing the word and uh, we hear it preached. And so if I'm preaching the word, if I'm sharing God's word, then faith is being actively given, which means salvation is actively present. When you pair that with with the element, now you have a sacrament, and now you're conveying God's grace to that individual specifically, telling that individual, God forgives you of your sin. And I would also argue in this framework of the atonement theory, because that plays into role with our understanding of sacrament and ordinance. If it's an ordinance, then we can argue limited atonement that God only saved those who can make a proclamation of faith. If we argue, and, and it's not a universal view, but if we argue that God, Christ on the cross died for the forgiveness of all the sins of all the people in all of the world, and those who will believe in him will have salvation, if we articulate that, then we can actively convey the means of grace to that person because their sins have been forgiven already, and we are administering to them faith. And so it's not a universal sense in the in in the mind that everybody's going to come to Christ at the end, or you know, as some people have been shouting off on social media that uh, you know those who are condemned to hell will have you know kind of a refining period and then they'll go to heaven. No, this is not what we teach. Uh, the Lutherans teach that Christ's, Christ's death was good enough to cover all the sins of the world through all of time, but we recognize that people will reject him, and therefore it's there's not wasted blood, as some of the uh, Reformed people might try to argue. Christ did exactly what he had was out to accomplish, and that is how we can view baptism as being a sacrament and the conveying of one uh, of faith to one so let's dig into some of the text um you know we're, we're over 30 minutes um so i'm going to dig it we're going to we're going to start to look at a little bit of text and then we'll pause for this part of the episode and then we'll go into some more text and some more background to it so i hope I, i'm starting to wet your taste buds here a little bit with this view um, but i want to look at uh, some there's a, a handful of verses that i believe. Um, that are are very heavy in their argument of baptism and and more so uh, infant baptism and the fact that baptism does what it's, you know, said what scripture says it does. And so we see Acts chapter two. We read that earlier, Romans six, three through five. This is what Paul writes. Do you not know that all of us have been all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of faith. He says this in Colossians two, 11 and 12 in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made by uh, made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of, Uh, of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 22 verse 16, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. We're going to pause there and we're going to pick this back up next time. Um, Again, I want to uh, respect your time and I don't want to keep rambling on and on because this episode can go for probably two or three hours. So we'll have multiple parts, but I hope this was a wet wedding of the taste buds for you, and and getting you interested to hear more uh, as we continue to expound and expand and dig into this text. We didn't even look at the Augsburg Confession, and we haven't even looked at what early church fathers said. We haven't looked at uh, what you know more scriptural passages said. We we just started to scratch the surface, so. I really wanted to make sure that we build the foundation of sacrament and ordinance going forward from the Lutheran perspective. We will constantly refer to baptism in the Lord's Supper as a sacrament. So that's going to conclude today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with me. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. God bless. We'll see you Friday for our episode then.